All right, hello, and welcome back to Between the Liars. My name is Ryan Koch, and with me I have Austin Ivy. Hey, everybody. Marcelo Gonzalez. Hello, everyone. And Joshua Hendricks. How is it going there? And today we are pulling from some relatively recent news at this point. It's been about a week, week and a half since it's broken. But the New York Senate Democrats have passed a legislative bill providing funding to undocumented immigrants. Uh, They passed a $2.1 billion relief for illegal immigrants, and I think they're averaging it out to around $15,500 per undocumented immigrant. I have a couple of snippets from the the article in which it was posted. The first is, the question is not, do you help these workers? It is, how do you do it, and how do you structure it in a way where it is defensible in these districts? That was from Bruce... Guyery. He's a Democratic political consultant and workers had made a compelling case that they have been devastated by the pandemic, he said, but some rural and suburban voters might see the payments as an expensive and unfair benefit for non-citizens. The way that they are going to pay for this is they are raising the taxes in New York. Another quote is, to deny excluded workers benefits after we relied on them to get us through this historically difficult year would be immoral and unjust. Now, this is highlighting some of the Biden administration's campaign platforms, which is equality of outcome or equity, making sure that people are receiving equal treatment. There's the the overview. I'll kick it over to Marcelo or anybody else who wants to kind of start off with the commenting. Sure. Um, first of all, uh, the full disclaimer, I have undocumented friends, undocumented family. Uh, I'm, I'm very much in favor of any sort of relief for this community that I consider very important and underrepresented, obviously underrepresented in our, um, in our political system. That said, some quick thoughts is, in general, I think we can divide it into the, should we do this? Or like, is this the best way to do it? I am in favor of the entire idea. And I, I love the idea of the cash payments and the repayments for the last year. I think Ryan said it was $2.1 billion. And even in the article, it does say that this is a part of a budget of $212 billion. So it's not like they just passed $2 billion for undocumented people and then they left everybody else out to dry. It's like a 1% uh, of the budget that it is dedicated for the, you know, the entire state. So this is, I would say a 1%, I wouldn't call it a, a substantial part of the budget. I'll say that I think cash payments, as we have seen with the stimulus checks, are something that the American population is very much in favor of, and it's proven to be a pretty a pretty good success. If you give money to people, they'll spend it in the economy, and the economy will keep running. Um, and the fact that uh, this payment is trying to target people who have might have been hurt, who were working in the informal economy, who didn't have access to other types of benefits because they were undocumented, I feel like it's a great idea and uh, yay for it. I always find it interesting when it comes up about states taking actions and benefits for um, immigrants who, who are undocumented. And one part I always find interesting is people get caught up on the fact that looking at the issue of the like these people being non-citizens, but from the state's perspectives, and you know, and I think this is an interesting political, political perspective I like tossing at people is, why does the state of New York care about the federal government's borders? Because that sounds a whole lot like the federal government's problem. The state of New York is concerned about state of New York residents. If the federal government wants to police its, bo- its own borders, that's the federal like government's burden and onus to do so. And so New York's you know worried about stimulating its own local economy and taking people who pay sales tax and income taxes for the jobs they hold there and who are members of their society. And so I always 
always like tossing out to people like the states don't have to be concerned if you consider about like the it's the same thing with the uh, decriminalization of uh, marijuana like the federal government can still go raid those dispensaries if they if the DEA feels like it you know it's within their oneness and purview of the law but it's just not those states problem to enforce the federal law like if the federal government wants something done it is its own independent body with its own law enforcement agents who can do it at once and and, and so as much as people talk about you know not wanting this big centralized government I was find interesting when people want to turn the local state governments and our local police departments into extensions of uh, the federal government's law enforcement agencies. Like these are state officers and state governments doing things for state people. The federal government's its own, you know, ordeal. Yeah. I definitely have to think about this one for a few minutes, obviously not being from New York. I like, I like some of the points that Josh brought up with that. It does seem like a state issue is so being from Tennessee, it doesn't bother me too much how New York runs their tax policy. That's one of the many reasons why I don't live there. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I don't know. It's it's such an unprecedented situation with COVID and everything, and the government just kind of doling out cash to you know float people through these times. I don't think the problem is so much who it's going to as it is that it's going. Period. Um, Agree. I don't know. There are just some bigger issues at play here that I don't think like to put it in perspective, like Marcelo did, as far as the overall cash bailout for that area. If I was understanding him right, and this about what was it, approximately one percent going to this specific uh, or to illegal immigrants? I don't think one percent in the context of what two hundred something billion dollars. I think the issue is more the fact that two hundred billion dollars is being doled out than it is two point one billion is going to a specific group. I, I would agree with Austin. I agree with Josh's points that this is the state's prerogative. They do absolutely have that right to do so. Austin touched on this as well. I one hundred percent agree with the fact that the, it's it's going on at the state level. That is their decision. I agree with Austin. That's one of the reasons I won't live there. I can tell you if I was a resident of New York, I wouldn't be fond of the taxes that are going to be increased in order to subsidize this, particularly because of the fact that that is then put on the shoulders of individuals who are legal because they're the ones who are paying taxes at that point. So there becomes there comes this point where it, there's not a vested interest, which to Marcelo's point then brings up the question of these are human beings. What do we do to take care of them, right? So every person knows someone more than likely who is here as an undocumented immigrant. Like especially if you live in the south closer to the border, you know people. I don't think that it should be a question um, so much of, you know, disliking them as people. It should be focused on the policy aspect, I think is what I would kick that to. Go ahead, Josh. So here's a question. So in a state like Tennessee, then, where there's no income tax and a majority of the state budget then uh, comes from a sales tax, would this tax policy, would this policy of, um, you know, giving out direct payments to undocumented people be more preferable because that money generates from that common source of the uh, sales tax instead of an income tax. Although it's still worth noting in several states um, and through uh, withholdings, most undocumented uh, immigrants still pay income taxes. So to the first part of that, yes. Um, I think that if you're doing it through an income tax subsidy, that completely shifts the ground as to how the state is handling it because everybody who is here is investing money into the economy at some point. And I think that's a much more sustainable way to do it. I could be wrong. As I understood it, New York was not going to be raising um, or using the, the, the tax for spending on, on goods. It was going to be coming through uh, an increase in other forms of taxes. Uh, but correct me if I'm wrong. Just to clarify for my sake, 
this was out of New York, like the state's been their relief package. This has nothing to do with the federal government dispensing this, just to make sure I'm understanding correct, right? Correct. As I understood it, that was correct. Now, it, it does, it, you're seeing it on the West Coast as well. California did something different. They did it with several million. I think their um, undocumented immigrants could apply for, I think it was like five hundred a piece as a one-time payment. So something similar, uh, but again, uh, state level at that point too. I think at the end of the day, one of the things that uh, will receive the biggest pushback, and it's something that Ryan mentioned at the, at the beginning of, of the discussion, is that some people are feeling as though this is some sort of preferential treatment to people who, in their, uh, in their minds and in their eyes, shouldn't get this preferential treatment. And I guess that's a bigger question, right? Like, so the, should people who are undocumented uh, let alone, you know, receive these payments or or even like get specific kinds of aid directed to them, especially on the side of Tennessee. I don't know how much this deviates from the subject, but one big discussion that happened while I was in college is that um, Tennessee passed the Tennessee Promise, which is like a free community college for uh, all Tennessee residents. And this excluded people who were not residents. I was past that date, so I couldn't use it anyways, um, but it wouldn't have included me. And it definitely would have included any people who were undocumented. So this is another type of uh, government assistance in a way that was shut out for people who were not specifically citizens or residents of the state. Any thoughts? Uh, personally, I, I'm a little surprised that uh, Ryan and, and Austin were not, not, in, not in against like the idea of like cash payments to undocumented immigrants but against the idea of cash payments at all, like for to anyone and everyone. Then I, but I would love to hear more about that. So for me, it's not a question of, like Marcelo mentioned, whether they're undocumented or not. We are on the we're on the decline of COVID. People are getting vaccinated. We're seeing that people are gradually able to go out with more precautions, but they are able to go out. My personal point of attack then would be to helping individuals get back into the workforce and actually generating that revenue. The problem that I have with continuing to send these out now that we are past the major part of the crisis is that you are deflating and devaluing the dollar at that point because we're writing checks with money we don't have. Now, I'm not one of the people who's like, we must absolutely stick to the, the gold standard, nothing else. But I do think that we ha- are at a, we're at a crossroads where we have an opportunity to focus on reopening and making sure that that can happen so that it's less on the inflation of the dollar and more on the getting back into society and actually making it sustainable in the long run. Because if New York is printing money or the federal government is printing money, it does come back around and it does influence the dollar, which we are using. I would question the type of economic recovery we've achieved so far, because I imagine the United States is probably experiencing a lot like what Canada is going through right now when what's called, you know, a K-shaped recovery, where I'm going to imagine a lot of white collar industry, or, you know, um, has recovered a lot of tech industry, a lot of, you know, business, you know, office mill, any place that could transfer work from, you know, fairly is probably doing just fine. But there's a lot of places and a lot of parts of our economy of, um, you know, travel and tourist type stuff and shops and small businesses and restaurants and a lot of rural communities that are still very bad off. 
um, and will be for a long time. And those were already jobs held by a lot of the poorest people in the, you know, in our economy in the first place. So I would still contest that we're probably maybe see, you know, some big companies, but there's still probably a lot of underlying economic damage um, that's yet to play out that economics, you know, are still worry about, and we still need to be concerned about um, the full fallout of, of the pandemic. And plus, there's still the, you know, kind of global K-shaped curve as, you know, some countries speed up. We have the second, you know, you know, world's second largest country, India, going through its worst crisis yet. At the same time, America started against the country. So, you know, even the world's experiencing, you know, this K-shaped recovery of where it's getting better in some places, but we're still in a position of where this, you know, virus is going to be impacting the global life and economy for, you know, still years to come. I for sure agree with you, Josh, on the fact that, you know, we are, we are, the, the country's been ravaged. Like it's been destroyed by what we've had to do um, in order to, to try to curb this. And it's also just been destroyed by the fact that we haven't been able to produce. We haven't been able to go back to work. I think two things can be true at once, though. It can be true that that's happened. And it can also be true that it's not the best idea to print money and send it, especially because of the fact that this is not the undocumented immigrants or, or anyone at this point showing that they are in a state of harm. The specific verbiage of that bill is that they must show that they experienced harm, past tense. And that's kind of what I'm getting at here is I don't think that it's something that's ongoing. Not to say that they have not been negatively impacted or even at a, a disproportionate rate, but rather I don't think that this is the solution, I guess. So I'm kind of looking at it as two separate issues. It's true that we've been, you know, our economy has, has sunk dramatically. But also, I don't think that the way to fix that is to print money. I think to kind of play off that with how like unprecedented this whole situation is, the, I don't know, the various stimulus bills that have been passed, they seems like throwing a bandaid on, a, I don't know, a, a limb that was just amputated. Because, you know, for what the government had to do, basically shutting down the economy for the most part, uh, most industries, obviously, very, very large shipping business and tech industries not included in that. That's a different story for a different day. But um, this isn't a permanent fix, obviously, uh, doling out cash and everything, which is why I'm a little tepid to make any super hard statements as far as like every single one of these stimulus things was completely wrong. They shouldn't have given any money out. I don't think I would go that far because when the government just kind of pulls the rug out from under you and prevents you from exercising your livelihood and working, I mean, how do you how do you deal with that? You don't have any income coming in. Most people they don't have the forethought to think like, oh, my career is going to be stripped away from me next year. Oh, hey, look, glad that I had that in advance and thought about that. That just doesn't seem to be the case, which is why I'm a little little reserved as far as passing too much judgment. But going forward, especially as Ryan said earlier, with things looking better on the up and up, particularly for our country, and with things reopening, some states having great success in reopening, um, it seems like more payments, at least from a federal level, I don't know if that's completely necessary at least not for most states. Again, to tie back to New York, with it being a state issue, kind of curious to see where they go with it. I don't know. That's just kind of where I'm sitting with this one right now. What are, what are your thoughts, Marcelo, on the, the sending out of money um, and in general? Like I, I, personally, I think that there, there was a time to do it, and it was absolutely necessary, and it was beneficial. And I'm not saying that we should not have done that. So let, let, me, let me clarify that in case it came across that, that I was like, no one should have any relief ever. We did need relief. I just think that right now with where we're at, we don't necessarily. What, what are your thoughts, Marcelo? Of course, uh, I'll, I'll say real quick that I am biased because I did receive the checks. Um, and I'm very fortunate because I have a lot of friends who were dependents um, that didn't. So I'll say that 
I am 100% in favor of the relief checks. I feel like they were very much necessary. I also feel like they could have been more. So again, I'm, on, I'm not only saying that I, I thought it was a very good idea. I also thought, I mean, as an example, they based it on taxes, uh, but even like the checks, like the newest ones, they based it on the taxes from 2019. So and some people lost their jobs and it was not accurately reflected. Um, I have friends who are grad students and are professionals, but they were still set as dependents by their parents, even though they're living by themselves, so they didn't receive the checks. Um, I think it was a little unequal, the distribution. And of course, you know, uh, it, it, this, you can only get the check if you have like proper, it, it's easier to get a check if you have, if you live somewhere, like if you have a residential address, so homeless, uh, homeless population had a harder time accessing these checks. So again, I love the approach. I, I like, I really like the fact that they did it. I wish it would have done it more. So I'm like, I really have almost nothing bad to say. I will like, will agree with you that I think that at some point, you know, should we give two thousand dollars in the next month? Uh, I don't know. Like it, it. I, I, I think I would need to see the cost. It's probably very, very, very costly. Um, so I, I, again, I think at at a certain point you do have to, you know, but then again, I don't want to get too deep into the conversation because I do believe that, you know, at, 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 at a certain point, like a, a social safety net of just giving money to people could work. And so it's, it's not like, not only like, not, not necessarily something that I, I feel like we shouldn't have had a global pandemic to realize that maybe giving money to people might be the best way to get them back on their feet. Oh, and freezing rent payments and mortgages. For sure, uh, there is something else that people needed to have in order to not be on the streets. Uh, Marcel, you touched on something that I absolutely agree with, and I know Austin does as well. I think we're all in agreement on the fact that you're you're wanting to get people back on their feet. Some of the things that are at play, and this is where I would kind of say that it's not going to work, and you would say that it would, and I think that's where we'll disagree. But the goal is obviously to get people back on their feet. We obviously both are in favor of getting the economy back to a point of strength. One, there's two things that we're seeing at play here. The first is that you mentioned where's this, where's where's the bill going to come from, and I think how that's accounted for, um, where they're they're going to pay that back and have that money to actually send it out is going to be important. Um, and then the second one is going to be the fact that when we're writing checks, there's a fine line because we do need to help these people, but also there is a disincentivization to work. A very practical example of this is that uh, Waffle House had a very difficult time getting. They they were open, uh, and this do happened. Do you think that um, receiving twelve hundred dollars over six months is going to make you like stop working like full time? I don't know about the over six months, but the way that we just had those two drops of of mass amounts, right? So when the twelve hundred dollars stimulus check. Came in. Is twelve hundred dollars a mass amount? Well, hold on. Let me let me finish. <laughs> it depends. Okay, okay. It depends I'm, on who sorry, you're I'm, asking. I'm, <laughs> okay, so to get back on track, uh, Josh, to your point, it's it's really going to depend on who's getting the money. You mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. If a billionaire gets it, it doesn't mean anything. If a homeless person gets it, it's going to mean a lot more, right? Now, here's here's the scenario that happened. Waffle House had trouble getting people to come in to keep their store open because the employees were taking the $1,200 and taking three to four days off. And they all did it 
at the same time. Now, perhaps this could be alleviated if we we stagger it even more than we did. I know the checks were already staggered. Some people, <laughs> I didn't get my $600 one from the Trump administration till this month. That's pretty staggered compared, yes. The problem is not that I think that people are just going to, if, if we help them, they immediately become lazy. But the way that it played out, Waffle House could not get people to come in they had to either reduce or close. And so that's actually slowing the ability of the economy to reopen, which we're trying to do. I mean, it's a it's a supply and demand issue. Um, the uh, businesses have a demand. Labor has a supply. Uh, the supply isn't willing to be sold for what uh, the demand is asking. So the demand needs to uh, increase its amount it's willing to pay. If people aren't <laughs> willing to work... Um, like laborers are selling their wage. So like if you can't find anyone to meet you at the price you are seeking, then you're going to have to pay more because that's what the, you know, supply is telling, you know, it costs this much now. So if people aren't willing to work uh, because they're getting money from the government, um, maybe try paying your employees better. Um, because if you're paying them more than $1,200 a month, then maybe they don't care about what the government's doing. Like, this sounds like a whole lot of like the company's like problem. Like if the government can price your employees out with $600 every six months, then I, I don't know, fam. Um, your, your, your employees are in a bad spot. Because it's also true that, you know, for most Americans, they have less than like $500 in their savings account. Mm-hmm. So unfortunately, that $600 is probably more money than they, you know, had, you know, access to. Um, in a long while. And so again, yeah, like, you know, if you post up a sign on your business store saying help wanted uh, $10 an hour, and you cannot get employees, um, the answer isn't to complain that the government's, you know, that everyone's gotten lazy. The answer is try to buy it for more like it's supply and demand. If people, you know, you don't want to, you know, pay more. I don't know. I, I think that that's more of a symptom of the actual problem, though. So the fact that they were able to be bought off with that is not just the fact that they were suddenly hit with the 600 or the 12, in this case, the 1200. They didn't just take the month off. It's not like they're like, yes, my, my, they, they only took a couple of days. And that's the key there. The, the symptom then is that they're short-sighted in the way that they're using the money instead of using it because the intended purpose was to help them and alleviate, not replace their wages, which is a slightly different conversation. But at the same time, they're, they're kind of intertwined. They have a short sighted habit of I have twelve hundred dollars. I don't have to work because that's my four or three or seven or however many days that averages out for them. They took it off. And that's the point is, is they took it off. And it, it, the, then at that point, writing the check didn't do its job. Well, I mean, if its job was to stimulate the economy and make people's lives better, then the government shouldn't be this parental agency that's dictating, oh, here's what you ought to be doing. Like, no, we said, all right, we're a collective group of adults. We're going to send out uh, stimulus checks to another collective, to our collective groups of adults. And they, as autonomous, full-functioning beings, can make decisions best suited for their lives. Like, the government's parentalism of um, here's what you best need to do to live your life is nonsense. Like, so what they took a vacation, maybe they hadn't had a vacation in three or, you know, you know, five years and their finances were fine. And that vacation they took from their Waffle House job is what they needed. And that, you know, who knows? I, you know, I don't know them. I'm not in favor of government parentalism either. But I guess what I'm getting at here is the fact that 
we wrote these checks because we said that we needed help. And it wasn't used as help. It was used as a subsidy or a replacement. So therefore, what we're going to pay taxes for and we fronted the money on didn't do its job in many instances. Well, again, it's like, you know, but we're wanting the economy to work. So what's the point of econ- of the economy to produce and make people's lives better? So if this stimulus check, you know, did get someone that vacation, then they, you know, spent money around and, you know, stimulated the economy in their own way and through parties and, you know, okay. Like there's multiple ways that like it gets its job done because like as an employer, you give your employees vacation because you know that you don't want them to get burnt out. Like, so that vacation time, yes, isn't fulfilling the objective of actually producing the material of the, of the company, but you know, it as a benefit helps the overall productivity as a company because people who don't work all the time are more productive than people who work, you know, 365 days a year. So that's why I would again even argue like, if you were a food service worker working through the pandemic, holding shifts on the front line, constantly being exposed to this and the government, pa- you know, passed a stimulus check and it got you a, a couple of days off a week off and like, that probably did a lot of benefit for the economy of helping that, you know, person, you know, relax and distress and you know even if they weren't you know you know working like taking a vacation isn't inherently a negative for the economy even if it's in terms of a government like provided stimulus um because you know america is an odd one out of the uh, you know you know post-industrial world that doesn't have like mandatory you know vacation requirements um for like businesses like you go over to Europe and like most countries mandate three if not four and like a lot of uh, countries will mandate a minimum of six weeks of like vacation um, as a part of just any job you have in some European country so I mean yeah like yeah take the time off (laughs) what do you think Austin again with this being a temporary phenomenon as far as like these very brief payments just a couple of them even though they are as large as they are, I'm less apt to throw criticism on the stipulation that they say temporary. I think the biggest issue that I would have is if it became a permanent fixture. And I think that's more of a question for an economist than anyone else to be able to look at the benefits and attractions of having you know, regular government payouts and everything. Uh, what would be the benefits of this? Would it be sustainable? How much would it inflate your currency? Would it actually promote well-being in people besides like just the number in their bank account, because there are other things that go into that. I don't know. I think it digs to some deeper questions, but in light of everything last year with these stimulus payouts, again, I'm still in the position that what we've had so far to a certain extent necessary to keep people floating, but like 2021, we're here, we have multiple vaccines that are working well. My biggest thing is like, let's, you know, rip the bandaid off the infected wound and start fixing the infection. It's time to get back to work uh, in states that are able to do so. Uh, I think this is where I'm going to agree with Josh on <laughs> shocker. Uh, Ryan agrees with Josh on a <laughs> Uh So going back to Josh's point of the mandatory days off, like I agree with you, Josh. These are, are things that are necessary for health and for individuals to be able to have the mental capacity and things that they need. My issue is not with that concept. It's not even necessarily with the the payouts themselves. It's that we keep half-assing our way between the economy that we have and the economy that people say that they want. And we're not setting those structures in place. We've just written 
close to $3,000 per person, assuming that you were filing as an independent, between the Trump and the Biden administration since this happened. And it was written because we framed it as this is to help. And not everybody's using it that way. And I'm not in favor of the government regulating or policing or uh, parental unit oversight. I think that my issue stems in part from the fact that we are trying to provide the same help of some nations and we're not doing it in a way that we can uphold because we, we don't have that social safety net in place. And like we, we can talk about how that's a problem, but at this point, the reality is we don't. And I think that there's going to be a lot of damage done long term and short term when we when we kind of half ass between the two. Yeah. Well, and I think that reflects on like the partisan divide of like the like even though we now finally have like Democrats who are willing to set up a more aggressive like social safety net, you still have your Joe Manchins and um your Christian cinema, whoever the uh senator from Arizona is, um, who are unwilling to support um, you know, actual still policies yeah because america like still like lags behind we talk about like like you know over inflating um our currency well the canadian government has been giving every citizen over the age of 16 2000 canadian dollars every month since um um april of last year and it hasn't wrecked or ruined their economy and they have a you know universal health care system and canada's dollar is doing just fine and they're living um germany um and france are currently paying 66% of every single civilian salary in the country, uh, the government is. They just came to the businesses and say, give us uh, uh, two-thirds of your payroll. We will pay two-thirds of all payroll. And if you lost your job, we will pay you two-thirds um, of that money um, if you lose your job during the pandemic until the pandemic's over. So like other government agent, you know, other governments around the world have used their power and political will to do massive amounts of good um, for their civilian population. They haven't ruined their economies. They've made life easier um, and their people healthier. And the American government, you know, doesn't have the political will, even though we have um, a lot of the economic strength. Hell, we have more of the economic strength um, than these countries to pull off, you know, such packages, but we really just don't have a political will. So I think we end up walking this half line of like, oh, yeah, we've done, you know, what the Canadian government does every month um, in our collective government response, because, you know, I don't know. There's a lot of people like the two of you in the Senate who hate the idea of direct payments. And so, yeah, we're going to keep like straddling that because that's that negotiation of balance of the middle. Like, you know, part of, you know, Ryan, my criticism of centrism is that you get stuck with these half done, you know, one foot and one pool other, you know, never working coherently because it's just trying to balance, you know, economic theories that are trying to solve the same problem too differently. And they're somewhat incompatible. Well, if if you're looking at the problem with centrality, I, I I disagree with it being that you're stuck with the worst of both worlds. I think right now the problem is the fact that we switch a dictator every four years. We're 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 functioning through executive order. Congress is not doing their job. It's not just the fact that people are. I want a more socialistic structure over here on the left, and I want a more capitalistic structure over here on the right. It's that there's not a willingness 
to meet. It's not just that, you know, you get stuck with, with both. But the willingness to meet, though, then turns out to be, you know, $1,200, you know, checks instead of $2,000 checks and the one-time payments instead of every monthly payments. Like, where's the willingness to meet between, okay, if the government's going to do something, are the government's going to do something big or the government's going to do something little or the government's going to do something in the middle? So, like, when you, like, start parsing that out of what, you know, that means in terms of functional policy, okay, just... So what's this mean in terms of length of the deal? What's this means in terms of amount of the deal and who gets the deal? Um, do illegal, you know, and undocumented, you know, people get the deal? Um, those are balancing, you know, those are coming to the middle. It's, you know, for a lot of people, I bet, you know, if you came, you know, to a state legislator in Texas and said, we're going to give every single person documented or undocumented in the state $500 coronavirus relief that would receive less votes than a bill that came in and said we're going to give every citizen and only citizens $500 oh, sure. so like yeah so like because so, so that balance in the middle that coming together you know of centrism that is that that is including and excluding amounts frequencies how long the deal is how many payments are how much of it's going to be you know so this low amount of the payment is centrism because centrism is, fun is, is is the functional answer of, okay, of, well, if coming together, then everything that passes this narrowly 50-50 split Senate then is going to be centrism because that's the only thing that can pass is what's moderate enough that it's inoffensible to Joe Manchin and Mitt Romney, you know? Because if those two won't vote for it, then it won't pass. And both those two have to vote for it. And if those two both aren't willing to vote for it, then neither the Democrats can solo pass it or the Republicans solo pass it. Or, or it's going to be too radical in either way that neither of them are going to vote for it. And they're just going to be a good signifier that um, it's not going to get a two-third votes because of you know party allegiance. Like, I think to, I think to Josh's point uh, that I think centrism as an ideology is a little flawed because it definitely assumes that both sides are willing to give up yes. on something or that, um, or that they can even yeah like you know there's and you know in the policy space the compromise has existed um, we talked at the beginning of the conversation on undocumented immigrants and uh, a, a compromise that was reached in a way was DACA which basically gave uh, a temporary permission to stay for many undocumented immigrants as long as they were working or studying here in the U.S. and they came as children. So that was like, you know, for children, undocumented children, you get this and you get to study to work, whatever. But it was not for all immigrants or for all undocumented immigrants, because obviously that would never pass or that would never happen. And even actually, then Obama signed DACA by executive order. So, so even, even things like that, uh, I guess even examples of what I believe to be compromised didn't even make it through the bill. But it's a compromise um, the, of ideal in a, in a sense, like you mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess it's always, it, it's, I think, I think it's always better to, it feels better to fight to the extreme, like to, to get the absolute, to try to get the absolute best. Um, but then you also get the feeling that, I guess one of the examples that comes to mind is the last eight plan, eight bill that was passed by Biden. That was passed through by through budget reconciliation. So they didn't need 
they, they only needed like a simple majority, 50 plus one um, in the Senate. And it, what everyone was angry about, myself included, was that, that we didn't get the $15 minimum wage. And we, we, got, uh, we got literally everything else, pretty sure. And um, I don't know if I'm making a lot of sense here, but like I think centrism only works if, uh, or you're gonna like centrism more if you're on the losing side. Like we all want people to compromise when we don't have the winning hand. Because if you have a majority in Congress and in the Senate and the presidency, why do you even care, right? Like, why do you, why would you want to compromise? And it's a position that I find myself in many times, as much as I hate to admit it, is that if we do have the people and the votes to do something, um, why would we give in? And that's that's really scary to, to think about because, it, you know, it, it's happening right now at some points with with democrats and you know if you believe in the pendulum swing theory um in a few years it might happen to us but with republicans and republicans might have the control of everything i think at some point it creates a, a the idea of like well you know if the other side is not going to compromise then why would i uh, because compromising is given in and given in is losing and i want to win so if i i'm going to take everything i can because i'm pretty sure the other side is going to do the same we're not ruled by a different dictator every four years. We're ruled with a slim, um, we're ruled by a couple of moderates who occasionally align with one party or, or another, and well, that's the best we're going to get. When, when, because when so your president signs 53 executive orders in the less than 30 days when he gets in office, that, that's... Oh, yeah, but the president have a budget. Right, and what, what I'm saying is... We keep relying on the presidents, and this is not just the last administration. We rely on those executive orders to go through, which is why I'm saying yeah. we, we, we rotate in a, a, a monarchy of a sort where we just every four years we get to shift it out if we want to. But it's it's not relying on on the cards. And, and to an extent, you're right, Josh. I, I do agree that there, there are uh, what I'll agree with is that there are complications that cause this to become problematic in the way that it's passed. Uh, well, I definitely believe that for now we live in a republic. Well, a federal republic. I forget the specific name. Um, it, I'm not going to lie. I think it, because we're so partisan right now, everyone sort of like brushes over whenever your party is passing executive orders because you agree with them. Yep. Um, last year, uh, not last year, last administration, when, when Trump was like, you know, I'm going to build a wall anyways, you know, like I'll stop, I'll try to like block all of these bills because I can, just like Biden did now with uh, stopping the uh, the APO, the Dakota Access Pipeline, yep. um, try to stop it. Trump did the same thing, but on the opposite end, try to push it forward anyways. So I guess I would be like, I have really no room to argue because whenever the president signs something that I like, I'm like, yes, democracy to work. And whenever he's, uh, he or hopefully she sometime soon uh, signs something that I don't agree with, then I'll be like, oh no, well, you know, like it's 1984 again, like it's not. Um, I guess it's, it's just a, a climate where I don't see a lot of bipartisan bipartisanship happening. Mm -hmm. Also because I think both sides have really key issues, issues that really can't agree on. There's like really heavily politicized things. And also I think um, confrontation makes people donate and makes people support and it riles people up, which is, is, is exactly what politicians want when they want your money and your support. 
um, it's a lot better if you get to see people because really nobody's watching C-SPAN, people are on Twitter. And when you see Ted Cruz fighting with AOC, fighting with Marjorie Taylor Greene, fighting with Cory Booker, it's it's a lot easier to like those names kind of like stick with you because they are in the media all the time. And that's why they get the most donations. And I don't think they're very interested in agreeing with each other. So that's just a general commentary on like why I feel executive orders in a way are a necessary evil to get the president to do what they want to do. So otherwise, you know, if, if they just sat and waited for the Congress to do something, it'd be really hard to be along with. To kind of tie it back to the the undocumented versus document the checks versus no checks, I do I, I will stand by the fact that I, I I don't like the fact that it's providing for people under the guise or under the assertion that we need to be providing equality of outcome when it's also relying on the fact that these people are here by breaking the law. doesn't mean that they're not good people. doesn't mean that they don't have families. doesn't mean that they don't have value. But it does mean that when we're legislating policy, I don't think that the people who are not abiding by the law should be supported through that. Like, I guess that's... I mean, most people are breaking the law at some point or another. Like, not by the undocumented. Version. Like, the fact that someone speeding. breaks the law. <laughs> Here is my hot take. Um, Part of, you know, we can see it like here with the filibuster, like... Like we are ruled, you know, by like an executive department that's using executive orders more and more. And that like stemmed from a position of like congressional deadlock. Like why was Donald Trump able to appoint so many federal judges? Because Mitch McConnell like stopped letting Obama appoint judges in like 2010. Like in 2010, as soon as Mitch McConnell had the Senate, Barack Obama didn't appoint a federal judge again um, at any level. And that's why there were so many vacant seats. And so like congressional deadlock and like this rule by uh executive branch like as much as like we do hate to say it like a lot of like the a lot of the congressional you know deadlock and then like rule by executive started with the Barack Obama because he was essentially you know forced to the Supreme Court's a great example of this of where congressional deadlock for you know them and oh wait six weeks before the election no absolutely we can have another supreme court justice barack obama no it's an election year we can't do this six weeks before the election absolutely and and so centrism is going to provide always us then the answer of like what best we can pass between only the most moderates and so yeah it's always going to be a you know one foot two pool you know compromise because when you have grand economic theories and your answer is force them to mesh together when they're incompatible with each other, you're always going to get some pretty wonky looking policy. Yeah. All right. Well, for my hot take, just to kind of kick it back over to the topic of payments and everything. um, I think when it comes to a federal level, as far as like centralizing from the federal government outside the purview of what the states would do on their own individually, I think that a lot of issues where money or money is doled out, it isn't just coming from nowhere. A lot of it is, you know, it's one hand in one in your right pocket, and then another hand in your left pocket, but there's some stripped out in the middle as far as where the money is coming from, where it's going. There's some taken off the top as well. A lot of those issues, I think it would be better just let people keep more of their money on the front end and do with it what they wish, but different story for a different day. On the federal level, um, kind of defer to Ben Franklin on that one. When people find they can vote themselves money, it'll herald the end of the Republic. On the state level, to bring it back to where we started this conversation with New York and they're deciding to extend relief payments to illegal immigrants. I say, again, a state issue. I don't so much take an issue with the fact that those payments are going to illegal immigrants who are 
paying into the local economy. I think that when it comes to, I hate to say entitlements, that's, I think that sets up a terrible view for what those things should be. I think some of the incentives that come to citizens who participate in our local systems and who contribute to their local economies that are subject to our laws and jurisdictions, those are the things that determine whether or not people should get those quote unquote entitlements. I don't like that word. Not so much dependent on their you know inherent worth and dignity as a human being, because I don't think what we give them should be dependent on that, should be dependent on whether they contribute to the system or not. Because the amount of things in the system isn't dependent on their inherent worth and dignity as a human being. It is dependent on how much they contribute to the system. I think those things can be separated and we can still view people with worth and dignity while not having to give out a lot of free things. But when it comes to tax issues with states like New York, California, and large states that are pulling more money from their populace, I say one of the beautiful things about America is that we have 50 states. That's 50 small um, experiments, so to speak, where we can contribute you know, kind of look between them, see different things, if they work or not, and let the numbers of people fleeing those states speak for themselves. My hot take. Okay. So I'll, I'll go ahead and set it. I already said at the beginning, I love the idea of giving money to people. I think a cash influx is a great way to put more money in the economy. And obviously, who wouldn't want more money? It's, it's a little, maybe a little simplistic, but that's, that's what I believe, um, especially for undocumented immigrants. Now, if you really wanted to fix this, then you could just, you know, give them permission to work. Uh, and then they wouldn't have to go into the informal market and they wouldn't have to go through all of these hoops. And if you just let them work, then you could even, you know, charge them taxes or something. I think that it's the, the situation with undocumented immigrants is especially difficult because now, you know, they're getting this cash from the government when in reality i'm pretty sure most of them would just rather you know not work under the table and have something specific and once you get those undocumented immigrants on board working actual jobs then you will stop having businesses exploiting them uh because you know they're afraid that they're going to go to to ice um and in, a, in an ideal future you wouldn't need those cash influxes anymore that's me all right, so my hot take is that the fact that it's happening at the state level, I'm on board with that. I, I don't like the mandated down parental oversight of the federal government overstepping and then having the states pay the bill. If New York wants to pass that off and they want to include undocumented immigrants as a part of the relief program, that is their prerogative. That is their right as a state. And I think that if it's not liked by the people, you're going to see a change in who is in the Senate and, and who is in the House at that point. And that's as it should be. So I support it for that. Where I don't support it is where it's presented as we're taking someone having intrinsic value as a human being and using it as a reason to pass the legislation that we prefer. Undoubtedly, a, these immigrants were essential. Undoubtedly, these immigrants are valuable as human beings and they have worth. But that's not the same as whether or not they should receive benefits for something that they don't pay into. And I would go further and say that even if it was set up as a sales tax basis, you wind up setting up a dangerous precedent where you incentivize and reward people for not abiding by the law. And I think we've bit off a little bit more than we can chew in today's session. Uh, we've kind of touched on all sorts of things. Hopefully we'll elaborate on those later. But my big takeaway here is there's a bill to pay at some point. And I don't think that we have incurred a necessary bill in certain instances when we are continuing to pass relief 
when we are at a point where we can begin to reopen safely and truly stimulate the economy. When you're claiming that you're passing this in order to provide a springboard or a trampoline or something to help people, and we're not seeing them use it that way, it means that it wasn't necessary in the first place. Not to say on an individual basis you couldn't find someone who needed it, but that we don't need to spend billions and trillions of dollars at this point to continue to do so. So that's that's my hot take. All right, I'm sure you find yourself somewhere between the liars. Join us next time. Goodbye for now. Thank you.